What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I explore the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate or property investment market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset, your behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. So here we are, guys, on episode 44 of the show. Last week, I was speaking to you all about risks and opportunities and what's happening uh, in the world today with the pandemic and more generally with innovation. And um, the, the, the kind of the genesis or the, I suppose, the motivation to actually do that podcast was from all of the discussions I've been having in Clubhouse. And uh, as I've mentioned before, Clubhouse app, a lot of people raving about it at the moment. It's actually become it's become become quite a imposition to actually be on Clubhouse because I get these messages pinging up on my screen saying, you know, somebody wants you to come into a room and stuff. And I might have my plans, but they they want me in the room. So it's uh, it's starting to kind of get in the way of, the, you know, my kind of day to day plans. And I'm starting to actually have to ignore rooms that I've been invited to. But there are some really, really excellent rooms in there and some extremely knowledgeable people. And uh, and so it is well worth checking yourself out. And if you do want an invite, I should say, as I've said last week, I have about five invites to give away at the moment to um, to people who would like to join Clubhouse. As I've mentioned before, in order to join, you're going to need an iPhone and you're going to need to give me your mobile number so I can send you the invite. Um, but that's it. No strings attached. It's just the way it is. Right. This week, I'm going to speak with a interesting man, a person who is an industry leader, a COO or chief operating officer, no less, in the prop tech world. And uh, he is working in uh, a CEO of two separate companies, although they are connected. And it is in the software as a service kind of industry, but it's fully within the sort of whole smart buildings and uh, real estate innovation space. In addition to that, they have spun off this other company that is um, in the air quality certification area. And this is why I just found it very, very interesting nowadays with COVID and all that. One of the biggest questions that we're getting is just how good is the indoor air quality in your building? And this is something that um, is, you know, it's it's popping up all the time. And it's something that Michael and his team are pretty much experts at. And so I wanted to bring him on the podcast. I actually came across him through my day job here in East Point. And uh, I was speaking to him about various things that we we're looking at in the park. And we're looking at putting in sensors in certain buildings and trying to kind of um, figure out how to manage systems that are kind of aging and getting out of date. And we're looking at new systems that might replace them. And I found the discussion that we had so interesting. I kind of said, you know, Michael, you got to come on the podcast. So Michael's an Australian, but he's living in London. And um, what's interesting is he'll explain at the beginning of the thing uh, of the conversation today is that he started out as an apprentice electrician. And uh, he's gone through this interesting path where he now ends up as the uh, chief operating officer of a prop tech company in London. So young people, particularly listening in today, pay attention to what Michael has to say just about the way the future is going 
And if you want to think about jobs and college applications and where you should be sort of putting your attention, if you're interested in the real estate game, uh, Michael has some interesting insights on where it's all heading and pretty much software is that. So guys, without further ado, I'd like to introduce Mr. Michael Grant. All right, Mr. Michael Grant, great to have you on the podcast, Michael. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Good to be here. The weather is improving in London, so um, a man from Australia should be feeling a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's making me a little bit happier. It was not, it's not minus nine when I'm kayaking anymore, so it's, uh, <laughs> life is good. Yeah, it's improving at least. Um, I was just, in fact, I was just looking at your, your, back, your backstory. The, you're from Melbourne originally, are you? Yes, I am. Yeah, born and bred Aussie, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, that's great. It's funny, I have cousins living in, in Melbourne that were born in France, and they went over, I think, like on a holiday or something like that. And they've been there like 25 years now at this stage. Yeah, it happens a lot. A lot of people go there for a holiday and then end up staying there. So, yeah, it's, it's um, a good place. And you've, gone, you've done the opposite. You've come uh, this direction. Yeah, I have. I have. I, I was planning to go back and then I met my lovely wife and now we have three children. So we're here for a little bit longer. A bit longer. Yeah, for sure. Well, look, um, just to give the audience a little bit of a backstory, uh, Michael, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your kind of early days starting out in Australia and I suppose, you know, college and, and what brought you into this industry that we're now in? Uh, so originally, way back when, I'm a Sparky by trade. So I, I did an electrical apprenticeship in Australia and in, in my hometown. And, and actually, it was my first boss, a guy called Rod Collender, who said to me, Mick, there's something called IT coming, and, and it sounds like it's going to be big, and you should probably start to look at that rather than be a grumpy old electrician like I am. So I looked into IT. At the end of my apprenticeship, I then started to do infrastructure cabling, Cat5 at, at the time it was, and then uh, moved into project management before I left Australia. And then I went traveling around Europe, uh, ended up in um, Amsterdam of all places with no money where I then needed to go and get a job. So I moved back to the UK and I got into, I stayed in project management of IT and then moved into data centers, working for a company called Level 3, which is now owned by CenturyLink. Uh, so went into networks, then started doing network design and, and network development for data centers and landing stations, and then moved into wireless uh, then moved into kind of operational roles rather than project management roles, and then took up some COO roles uh, on you know unified comm side, managed video, all around kind of the network piece, uh, and then moved into prop tech and and this space probably about five six years ago now. Cisco asked me to come in and and look at a company called uh, Asset Mapping at the time and uh, to help them out. And then I moved into that business full time. And then, you know, here we are today, did a management buyout of Metricus about two years ago with some new investors. Uh, so asset mapping turned into Metricus. And you know, here we are today running software businesses and, and an indoor air quality business. Super interesting. And what's interesting is that you started out as a Sparky. So this was not kind of, you know, in the... Uh, this was not kind of on the map uh, as far as you were concerned in the early days um, no. and to end up like CEO of a company in London and stuff like that must be a long way from where you kind of uh, imagined seeing yourself way back when. Yeah. Yeah. Software was, software wasn't even on the radar back then, you know, used yeah. to running, running, running cables from point A to point B and turning power on. So yeah, very, very different. It's amazing. Isn't it? That technology, the way it's like transforming the world. I had a conversation with somebody earlier on today and we were just talking about, looking ahead you know five ten years and like 
what's happened with the pandemic is that it has kind of accelerated change that was already, you know, going to happen, but yes. it's accelerated by, you know, years. So if we had not had the pandemic, we would not be talking here on Zoom and, uh, and having this discussion uh, because Zoom was kind of, you know, people were using it occasionally, but it wasn't the everyday thing that it is now today. Is there any areas that you're kind of looking at it in the next couple of years that you think are going to become the next big thing and um, and just where it's all going to heading in the direction yeah we are we and you're right i, I was on a call before this in, in a with, with a with another guy called paul bingham who runs smart connected buildings and lots of workshops we we're on a, on a co-working mastermind and, and a lot of the people on that call were talking about the acceleration of technology that you know people were forcing themselves to use in the facilities and operational world prior to covid we've kind of accelerated five years in a year to where we are now the big things we're seeing esg is becoming a big buzzword right and 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 all about environmental social governance sustainability so we're seeing a lot of people now whether it's uh, tenants occupiers or landlords wanting to do something around indoor air quality as quickly as possible because what covid has done as well is made everyone an indoor air quality expert prior to covid who knew about dust and vocs and, and other things no one really but the pandemic has accelerated that i think that will just keep going and going and growing and growing and we're doing a lot more of that now and it's accelerating very rapidly for us and, and our customers the occupancy and capacity space as well is now with you know people going back to the office you know, there's, there's been lots of talk about people ditching offices completely. That's not going to happen, especially if you've got a 20 year lease with a 10 year break. But the way offices are being used, uh, I think, will change. And we, we prior to COVID, we were talking to pretty much occupiers and tenants only. But now landlords, because the power is now in the, you know, the tenant and occupiers hand, the landlords, we're, we're now speaking to tons of landlords not only about air quality, but about capacity monitoring to understand their building better and to be able to offer a better service in their space for tenants. The tenants themselves and the occupiers, they really now would like to understand how much space do they really need. Someone said to me, uh, uh, I was talking to a while ago in a meeting that prior to COVID, everyone was fat with cash and sales were good and everyone was happy and we're all in the office, we're all going to the pub. Then COVID hit and now everyone's realized actually how much money they could save if not if they got rid of all of their offices, but if they actually had just a little bit less. So occupancy and capacity monitoring uh, are, are getting big very quickly as well, because not only do people want to know how many people are in their building or in each floor, but they like to know how people are using their spaces and do they, do they have enough of any one space because people are talking more about collaboration spaces than just straight desks and coming into where, where you join up as a team and do you know collaborative work so monitoring that is getting bigger and bigger and i think that's here to stay for quite a long time as well something that's been around for years that everyone's doing is energy monitoring but if you look at indoor air quality and occupancy and capacity that is now pushing energy back up the list because there are there are lots of energy savings to be made uh, lot, lots lots of people are also talking about lots of other smart stuff but i think those three basics will grow and grow and grow and then you'll see things to start to form outside of that and, and it depends on what what kind of building you're looking at as well commercial real estate i think those three things have got a lot of legs and especially when you connect it and you can start to automate buildings two or three years ago when you said like we can use a gateway 
to help automate a building and start to turn a BMS on or off or bring temperature up or down or do these things. When you said that three, two or three years ago, people would have heart failure. Now people are saying, yeah, automate as much as possible. We'd like to take the human element out of it. So I think automation is something that will grow, whether it's to do with indoor air quality, energy or occupancy or all three together. I think that's definitely going to be one of the things that grows as well. Artificial intelligence as well, because of the fact that, you know, this is one of the thoughts that I had about this is that, that the amount of sensors that we're putting in buildings and the amount of sort of readings that you can get from all of the different stuff, it gets to the point where it's almost too much for, uh, you know, an average human being to kind of deal with the amount of information. Whereas, yes. an, you know, an AI can take all that stuff in and knows, okay, I got to adjust this. I got to do that. I got to, you know, funnel people into this direction here to kind of, you know, bring down the temperature or make it less crowded or, or whatever it is. And what you're saying about capacity there is interesting because one of the things that I'm seeing um, is that, you know, with so many people working from home and that's going to be the way things are for the foreseeable future, but there's still going to be a need to come into the office and meet your team, collaborate, all that. And so it's going to be managing the desks, like which desks are available when you do come in. I mean, uh, you, what you don't want is that everyone in the whole business decides, let's, let's head in on Wednesday and then there's no desks for anyone because there's too much, you know, too many people have come in. I've been speaking with a friend of mine in the financial industry and he was saying that they've moved from, you know, in the past they would have 100 desks for 100 staff and it's moved towards 80 desks for 100 staff. Yeah. And uh, because so many people are out half the time or they're working from home or whatever, but they're actually getting even more aggressive now on that model. And they're starting to look at 60 desks and yes. possibly okay. having sort of maybe 10 or 20 desks in a, in a co-working or a flex space yeah. so that you have, you know, the absolute minimum fixed uh, cost in terms of your big lease. And then everything else is much, much more flexible that you can kind of come and go as you, as you please. Yeah, and we're seeing that. We, we have a co-working space as a customer. And although at the moment they're really suffering because they've gone from having 25,000 people in a day to 100 or less, they have signed some of their biggest deals during COVID for that exact reason. They've got some big banks that are saying, right, we want overspill and you will be our overspill because it's cheaper to take 50 or 100 deaths from them than it is to, to lease another floor and have an overspill there. So having that flex is, I think, going to grow as well. Machine learning is an interesting one, or AI, depending on which way you want to call it. It is, it is of course, going to grow. And the more data points you have connected, you're right, the, 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 the harder it is for humans to, to do something with that data. Uh, I think a lot of it will be around the, the, the controlling of the building, like you say, you know, the, the, the mechanicals of the building, what's going on, lights, heating, cooling, for indoor, and for indoor air quality. The... The co-working slash desk booking, meeting room booking piece it, it is growing. In, interestingly, from our side, some of our customers are talking about it. Some of our customers are doing it. And some of them are looking at the bigger picture and saying, you know, we will run a schedule and each team will know how many desks they have allocated each day. And they'll sort that out themselves rather than just a free for all. Because one of the things that we have seen uh, and customers are talking to us about is, they put that room booking system or desk booking system in and the PAs of the execs and their teams are saying, right, let's, when, when it turns in, 
you know, I think someone called it the, the, the 12 o'clock rush or the midnight rush on a Sunday is you can book everything out for the following week at midnight after midnight on a Sunday. Right. Teams are then smashing out the bookings and they're not turning up, but they just say so there's a bit of a free for all. So it's a bit of a mix about who who's doing what for now. It'll all shake out, I think, over time. But uh, yeah, the, 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 the way offices work, it, the big change, I think, will be a mix of permanent and, and flex space as well. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Um, just in terms of, I mean, yourself and your, uh, so you did the management buyout with your, um, with the CEO, I presume, is it? Yes, or, correct. Yes. Yeah. And um, I just, I mean, obviously that's a, you know, that takes a bit of work uh, <laughs> putting a deal like that together and stuff. Can you tell us some of the challenges that you faced in just um, coming up with, you know, deciding to do something like that? I mean, um I'm curious just how does one go about you know, even starting the ball rolling? Is it, is it that the previous ownership uh, has decided that they'd like to move on or is it that the existing management are kind of sort of hungry to, to kind of own the business in a little bit more? So, so we had a, a, the old investors ran into a bit of trouble with their investment fund. So we, we had a, a lot of customers. So we had revenue. Uh, and they said, look, you can, you've got a couple of choices. You can either keep running it yourself as the COO and get some other money in, or you can sell it. And, and there were people interested. So I went out to market. There were four companies interested in, in some type of acquisition. And then I actually met the, the CEO through a friend of mine, had a conversation 20 minutes later, we'd agreed to do the management buyout. So actually it, it, it went a lot smoother than I was, I thought it was going to, uh, to be wow. and, and took a lot less time, but but it was it was an interesting one. You know, all, all of our current all of our asset mapping customers, I kept them informed of what was going on, very black and white. So you, you should just do that out of courtesy. And every single one of those customers came across with us as from asset mapping to Metricus. So and they've all grown with us. So it it was less painful than I thought. It went faster than I thought. And actually, for our customers, it's it's been seamless, which is a good thing. And then, uh, yeah. It, 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 it could have ended up a lot worse. I think, you know, we, we, we had to cut the team size because of the old funds, but now we've got, you know, we went from 22 to six, we're back up at 25. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it, it was an adventure. It was, it was a bit of a roller coaster for about six to nine months, but, but, you know, well worth it. Exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and tell me, and tell me this: the um, I mean, we were talking about your 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 sort of background and the fact that you started out as an apprentice electrician. Um, so you did, did you go to college, or did you bypass yes. all of that? Um, so so I in Australia I, I went to uh, what's called a TAFE, uh, a technical college in Australia. Then actually I did uh, do electrical engineering at the University of Technology in Victoria as well, but I didn't actually do anything with it. I did the course because being a sparky you do half the course while being a sparky anyway so right. i did it and then didn't do anything with it and got straight into it so now where i was getting with going with that question was more to do with now in your current role you're looking for young sort of uh, graduates and stuff like that and just for because I, I we have an interesting mix of audience here we have people like myself and yourself at a certain age and then there's also very young people who are listening to this podcast yes. and i'd like just to be able to sort of say to them you know, if you're interested in, say, a job in prop tech, what is the kind of degree or what is the kind of background that you're looking for in graduates or young people that you're hiring? 
So for, for Metricus and or Aerated specifically, for, for Metricus, we're, we're a software company, uh, but we have a sales and marketing team. So, and we're hiring at the moment, actually. So from, from a sales and marketing perspective, we're looking for people, we're looking for a product marketing manager, we're looking for content people, and we're looking for brand people. So anyone who comes from that space or, or you know, so a degree in marketing, a green, you know, product management, something like that is, is what we're looking at on the, on the marketing side. On the technology side, it's someone, you know, with a computer science degree. Uh, uh, so every, being software, it's all front end, back end or UX, UI or, or full stack developers. So generally computer science, but, you know, one of the guys that works for us, he, he came, he did, he did uh, video, you know, and, and editing as a, as a degree at, at university, but he's our product manager. So, you know, we now... Uh, one of our guys came from law and actually he now does operations. So <laughs> some people just want a complete change, but if we're looking specifically at people and then in, in, in aerated, we, we need environmental scientists as an example, right. because aerated is all about indoor air quality. So the, uh, it's not so much on the tech side, we cover that as metricus, but for the, the graduates and the people we're taking on, it is, it is someone who has an, in, an environmental science degree. And actually if they, if they specialized in anything for us, it would be indoor air quality. So, and then from a, a, an operational project side, it would be someone that has a, a mechanical engineering degree from, from a, because of how much work we do in the buildings around the BMS and things like that. Right. Yeah, I do think that, I mean, just the, the trajectory of prop tech and the industry and innovation and things of that nature, it would seem that any of those kind of qualifications are going to serve you quite well in the coming years. Um, oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah. I mean, the world is becoming more and more software driven. So anything around software, you know, is, is even if thing, you're interested in the construction industry, software seems to be where it's at. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. I mean, we've, we, we, funnily enough, we've built a solution for track and trace for a US partner of ours. And on the back end of that, it actually turned out we can use it for asset tracking, but that is for construction and the construction industry now are looking at more and more. How do they, how do they streamline their supply chain? How do they do goods from, from manufacture to, to delivery on site? And how do they track that? That's not going to come from, you know, that's going to come from software and a hardware mix. So yeah, yeah software is, 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 is everywhere now. You mentioned aerated. Let's talk about that for a bit. This is um, your air certification or your air quality, indoor air quality certification. Yes. So Starting that is that kind of that is part and parcel of Metricus in a sense. It's it's you can it's an added thing that you can offer, or is it a standalone, completely standard standalone? Would you work with other companies in your same space in Metricus if somebody wanted an aerated certification? Yeah, it's it's a completely standalone business. Uh, myself and Francesca. Uh, and a couple of other people who are involved now on the sidelines. We we created the business and founded the business. So wired score was there for technology. The cycle score was there for cyclists and the tech people care about what the, the wired score, the cyclists care about the cycle score, but there was nothing there for indoor air quality. And Francesca worked with us as asset mapping and as metricus and more and more people started to talk about indoor air quality and you've got certifications like well and fit well and reset and, and a few others, but no one actually concentrated just on really on indoor air quality. And that's where the idea came from. And it, it is, although we own 90% of that business, it is, it is independent. It does stand alone. We are working for landlords using different sensors that are not sensors that we, we have at all. So we, right. 
it's not metricus dependent. The umbilical cord has been cut and it can work autonomously. Uh, but it's, yeah, the, the, the idea was to give somebody, as Francesca says, make the invisible visible because, you know, everyone's become an indoor air quality expert, as I mentioned earlier, because of COVID. So people now want to understand the air quality in their, in their buildings. And whether you're a tenant or a landlord, being able to have a certification and show that you've got good air quality is, is really important. Yeah. Yeah. Super important. And it's not even just from a health point of view, but in terms of a return on investment, uh, I mean, the productivity of your workforce is actually very, very dependent on the temperature and the quality and the, the amount of CO2 that's in the air and things of, of that yes. nature. Yeah. Correct. So your, your product, it takes, readings from sensors and it basically sorts out um you know through its software program as to exactly how much how qual good the air is i bet for lack of a better word yeah so so we take readings over three weeks depending on the size of the building depends on how many sensors we we put in uh we take into account seasonality the indoor air quality the outdoor air quality we measure five parameters temperature humidity co2 uh, VOCs, which are volatile organic compounds, and dust, PM, PM 2.5. And then we, we take all of that data over the three weeks, the inside, the outside. We also do an RFI. So we ask them how, what goes on in the building. We look at around the building while we're doing the work to see if there's any construction works that we need to take into account. And then at the end of three weeks, Francesca and, and a new young guy called Jack, who's joined the business, they do the really smart stuff, take all the data, you know, it, it comes whether whether we're using our sensors connected to our platform or they're external. We put it into a into an algorithm, and then they create a report. And then from the data, they then write a report, and then the customer gets a score, whether it's certified silver, gold, or platinum. And along the way, if we see some really big fluctuations in either temperature or humidity, generally we will say to the customer, look, would you like to address this now or do it at the end? And, and the Met Office were a prime example of that. They had very low humidity. They did something about it. And we paused the, the report, then we turned it back on and we, we, we started to, uh, we, we then restarted the project, I should say, and restarted the monitoring. And they went from silver, sorry, they went from certified to silver score just by doing some small tweaks on their BMS. So wow. they, were very, they were very happy with that. So, yeah. So, yeah. And the benefits to a tenant who or a landlord in terms of just so it's a it's an annual up thing that you would do, yes. is it? Yes. All right, okay. Yeah. And it this is just it's a little bit like the well cert, I suppose. It's it's just their quiver in your bow in terms of being able to market the building as it's got air quality yes. of a certain standard, it's got this, it's got that. Yeah. And and a lot of from a tenant perspective, it's to show, as you mentioned earlier. So, you know, that if you look at the JLL 330-300 rule or the, you know, three, two to 3% uh, are your energy costs, seven to 8% are your operating costs, 90% are your people costs within your building. Doing an air score shows your team, your, your employees that you care about them. And like you said, the productivity, if you, you know, for every degree above 25 degree in an office, the, you know, productivity goes down by a certain percentage. I should remember what that is, but it's escaped me at this moment. But that, that you know, it, it shows you care about people and it shows that you're actually want, you do want to do something about the air quality in your building. From a landlord perspective, it's attracting new tenants, still being able to, to charge a premium rent, but to show, hey, look, our building's got great air quality. You bring your team in here and you're, you're moving into a good space. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I suppose at some stage it becomes a, uh, an ask from tenants of landlords to say, you know, where's your air quality cert? <laughs> yes. So that we know it, that the it, building is is up to the stack. Yeah, the and, and we we had we did a project in Brussels uh, for a brand new building, uh, and we do air score DNO, which is in the design and operate stage, and we do an air score when the building is complete. And the, the the landlord in Belgium rang us and said, "You guys have just helped us secure a tenant because it was between us and another building. We were a little bit more on price, but we showed them our air score DNO and told them we're getting an air score, and that was the selling point for them where they they won the tenant." over the other building so it's it, it does help it's already proved to, to help they, they put that in and out in a case study very recently it, and it goes towards your esg score as well so there, there, there are there are no crosses and there are many ticks when, when you're yeah. talking about indoor air quality it's esg is something that i'm hearing an awful lot more about and it's funny that you mentioned it there unprompted because it's um we've got we work with a major um a major fund based out of London and New York. And uh, they have started asking us about ESG, what's our ESG policy, all this kind of stuff. And it's something that I personally have been interested in, but it hasn't been something that the organization has been particularly kind of focused on. Yeah. And all of a sudden people are sort of, wait, hold on a second, we're being asked about this now, you know? And uh, so it is starting to really take shape and, uh, and become a major ask. And um, I think environmentally, I think it's going to become a massive issue, I think, in the, in the coming years. In the same way, the pandemic kind of hit us like a freight train. Um, but there were people warning us five years ago that there was a risk of a flu-borne pandemic and there was certain infrastructure that we could put in place early to be ready for it. Yeah. And people just ignored that call. And I think in the same way that... Um, You've got people now for the last 20 years, scientists have been screaming about global warming and climate change and carbon emissions and stuff. And people have been, for the most part, ignoring it. But suddenly it's coming to the point where I can actually see it kind of gathering steam. The fact that major investors are now asking about this stuff. I think there'll come a point where suddenly everyone is, it's just a standard. And you just simply say, you know, if you're building isn't producing high quality air, if it's not, you know, monitored and censored all throughout, if it doesn't tick the box in terms of environmental, uh, all that stuff, then your building just won't be rentable. It it, it won't be. Uh, And, and it's, uh, so we, uh, we're talking to uh, a large, very, very large US landlord. And the, the first conversation we had with them, I mean, as Metricus, we do many different things as aerated, we do one specific thing. But when we spoke to them, they said, this is about ESG and our ESG journey is starting with indoor air quality. So only talk to me about indoor air quality, Michael. Don't talk to me about anything else now. That, I'm not worried about energy. I'm not worried about the other parts of ESG. I want to address indoor air quality first. And, and that is, they're a landlord. They're a very big landlord. And that's what they want to address, number one. So it, 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 it's coming, like you say, freight train. It is coming very quickly. It's, I think what has happened, you mentioned this earlier on in the conversation, we've come a long way in a short period of time where we were kind of almost being Luddites in this space. And now it's accelerated. And it's like a burglar alarm. Most people only get a burglar alarm once they've been burgled. Yeah. Now, smart buildings, people are doing it now because of COVID. They, you know, we had some great customers and they're all great customers, but we had some that were being proactive 
and some we were kind of dragging along on the journey. But then all of a sudden, the people we'd spoken to that said thanks, but no thanks, like 12 to 18 months ago now or two years ago, they're now picking the phone back up and say, you know what, we need to look at this now. They're being proactive now to us. So yeah. it, it, it is coming fast. And, and ESG is just getting bigger. It's, it's getting bigger by the day. You know, normally it was, you would see it gradually over a few months, but all of a sudden the ESG is everywhere. We're, we're actually doing a, a, a big white paper on it at the moment. We've, got, we've put out on LinkedIn last week, would anyone like to have input and involvement? We did the air review. So we, 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 we wrote a report for 2020, uh, our, our air quality review for air rated. And we had a, a ton of people come and ask us to, be, to have involvement in that. And we had a lot of great people provide input to that. The ESG one we're doing is Metricus. We're, 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 it's fantastic. We're overwhelmed with the amount of people who would like to have input and provide rich data and, and quality information for that report when it comes out. Interesting. Tell me this, the, I mean, going back to Metricus and thinking about, you know, say, say as me as a, as a, as a potential client, yeah. they have buildings that are, you know, are of a certain age, they're, they're getting on in years. How do you go about installing the, the systems into a building that is of that age. I mean, obviously a new building, this can all go in from the word go and, and it's, you know, it's easy to kind of install, but when you're talking about legacy systems and, and older systems, what's the way to go about it? And, and how would you advise somebody that has an existing building to kind of start to think about this? It, so 90 percent 90 plus percent of our buildings are the built environment so they're existing buildings whether they're five years old two years old 15 years old 20 years old it, it's a journey to do a smart building you've, you've got to figure out the most important part for the customer to start with so whether that is indoor air quality like our landlord in the us and then they'll look at energy then they'll look at something else it's, it's figuring out the starting point because we're a software as a service business, we've got 20 different sensor providers integrated into the platform at the moment, and we're doing about one a month. So by the end of the year, we'll have about 30. And then, you know, we, we've got, like you said earlier, there's a lot of technology out there. There is a ton of technology out there. We then work with the customer, right? So our customer in Canada, they only want to look at energy. Some buildings are five years old, some are 10 years old. They have some smart meters that we can pull out via backnet, but some of them we need to plug CT clamps onto because they're not smart meters at all. So each building you need to take on its own merits. How old is it? How smart is it? What technology does it have? And also depending on where you're starting, it depends on what, what sensors we put in uh, for the customer. So it's all very doable. As I said, 90%, 90 plus percent of our customers are the built environment. It just depends on where you want to start. It's, it's like eating an elephant, you know, how do you do it? You know, one small mouthful at a time. So start in one place, figure out Mr. Customer where that starting point is. Is it ESG? Is it air quality? Is it energy? Is it, you know, uh, operational optimization? So connecting to the building management system and just understanding how efficiently that's working. Off the back of that, you get improvements in energy and indoor air quality. So it, it really does depend on the starting point, but you've got to pick a point and then go on a journey. You've got to pick the right partner. Metricus may not be the right partner for everyone. Hopefully we are, but I know we're not. But you've got a customer and a partner have to work together and go on the journey from, from day one to day, you know, 365, 400, 700, 800, whatever that is. So your, your, your software that you put in is kind of like a backbone and then you, you can add on to it. So somebody would yes, be able correct. to start with, let's start with the backbone and 
just look at air quality, nothing else. Correct. And, yep. and then, as I say, a five or a seven year project, you could decide that you're going to bring the building up to a certain standard. That's probably a good way to go about it, actually. It's more palatable. Yeah, it's, it's how we, we've got a large UK bank as a customer, and that bank started with six sensors monitoring capacity over two floors. Then they went to the next building, a whole building monitoring capacity on each floor. Then they did another building, which they did capacity monitoring on every floor. Then they did every desk. Then they did every meeting room. And then they threw in indoor air quality. And now they're doing energy monitoring. So it is, it is very much a journey that, that you need to go on. But yeah, and, and you can go as fast as, you, as the customer can go. But along the way, the most important part for us and our customers is driving ROI and savings, whether that's pure cash or whether it's also improving the environment and productivity for the people in the building. Just in terms of the actual, you know, physical sensors that you're talking about, just for, you know, to kind of put people in the picture, for example, uh, when you're saying per desk and stuff, do you actually put sensors like under chairs or how does it work? We don't. We use overhead sensors, uh, ones that, that can pick up the algorithms generally look at head and shoulders for people. Uh, there's a new one coming out of the US that uses radar, which is pretty cool. But the, the under-desk sensors have been known to be a little bit big brother. We've, we've got a couple of customers who had previously tried under-desk sensors and, and people you know, voted with their hands, taking them out and sticking them on HR's desk. Also, lots of people use stand-up desks these days, so PIRs under the desk don't generally work for that as well. Yeah. Uh, and the cost comes into it. There's, there's sensors out now that run on batteries and you can cover up to eight desks with one sensor. And then if you need to move them around to do different areas and look at different areas, they're not fixed anymore. It, it becomes a flexible solution. So we, we tend to use, we can use under-desk sensor. If someone says, I want an under-desk sensor metricus, we'll put an under-desk sensor solution in. But from a recommendation point of view, from a cost deployment and an accuracy point of view, we generally use, we use overhead sensors. I was only just asking the question because... I have a, uh, a lobby that I have recently refurbished and it's we've turned it into kind of like a co-working type space with lots yes. of different desks and stuff and chairs and, um, and seats. And there's no, nothing above to, to attach your sensor to because it's a, it's a four-story high atrium. And that's the reason I was just asking is, is uh, that- Interesting. Yeah. So, so we've, we've got a customer, we just won a new customer and they've got a very cool building. <clears throat> excuse me, where some of the floor space is three meters high, but if you go into the middle, it is four meters high as well. So we're coming up with some of the design guys and, and architects to work out cool ways to put sensors in because there's, there's, there's so much value in the data that they want to find a solution. You know, some of it might be with, with rods coming out of the wall on, on one side, we're talking about some containery wire coming all the way down. So you don't really see the wire and there's a floating sensor in the ceiling, which will be quite cool anyway. Right. There's, there's always a way to do it. It just depends on how, for lack of a better word, precious people are about the aesthetics in the space. So th th there's ways around it, that there are always ways around it. And it, it just depends if you want to, if, especially if you're trying to monitor an open space where people gather like a collaboration space, uh, you know, you, you can for, for, for hot desk PIRs that, that, you know, if you were to take hundred percent accuracy, no sensor on the market is hundred percent accurate, but the overhead sensors are up around 98% under desk sensors are around 80 plus percent. So generally that's good enough for a lot of people. 
it's just the, the 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 big brother side and the tracking side that people had kind of the issue with with the right. under death sensors. It's I think it will change given people need to monitor buildings more. But that there's the beauty that's that's why we've got so many sensors integrated. If a customer comes to us and says, "This is what I need," we've got a we've got a hardware partner with a solution in their kit bag. And we're talking a lot about offices at the moment, but you, I, I was seeing on your website that you do residential as well. Um, is that you know less uh, important, or is that something that you're seeing more and more people looking at from from the same point of view? Uh, so, so residential point of view, we've only done a few things on the metrica side from a residential perspective because the commercial sensors just generally out of the, the you know people's range to buy your house could quite quickly become very expensive to monitor. Uh, from a, a residential houses, a multiple occupancy point of view on the air rated side, we're doing lots of high rise apartments and, and buildings, you know, with the one in the one in Belgium, part of it was commercial real estate, part of it was residential. Uh, so we're doing a lot more of that now in, in the UK, uh, actually globally, we've got, we've got a place in New Zealand that we're doing an air score for, for air rated as well. But Generally, residential is more aerated. The, the, the resi stuff we have done has generally been high-end homes because, again, the, the sensors are, are, are quite expensive. But as Metricus, we do a lot outside of commercial real estate. We do manufacturing, warehouses, logistics, and, and other areas as well. Yeah, because the, the next question that I have is, again, it's kind of a selfish one because East Point, the business park that I'm running here, is, is built on a landfill site um, about 25 years ago. Yeah. And so we have... Our entire campus is laced with these underground uh, ducts that are monitoring for methane gas methane, and yeah. all of this yeah. kind of stuff. And you mentioned that your sensors are, you know, you're adding um, capabilities every month. And I'm just curious, you know, how long before the likes of methane and, and, and that kind of thing can be sensed by your platform and, uh, and picked up? So if there's a sensor that's out there monitoring it and it can give us data via an API or MQTT or something else, we can pull that data in now. So, okay. yeah, yeah, it's it's just a matter of this of someone having a sensor that, that monitors methane and being able to give us the data via an API. I mean, I'll, I'll look into it after this. We'd love to work with you on. Yeah, I think it's worth it because it's definitely, I mean, in our case, we have been um, monitoring for about 20 years now we've been monitoring and it's a very old system that has like tubes and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of a nightmare because <laughs> every three months the guy comes around to kind of repair it and to do this and do that. And I mean, the annual cost is quite significant, you know, to, to do all of that maintenance. Yeah. And, and so I'm always on the lookout for a solution that is, something that's first of all on my phone, as opposed to kind of, you know, yes. a, a resident computer sitting in a room somewhere. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and obviously all of that, you know, the fact that you can do all of this stuff on your phone nowadays, that it's not, you know, some sort of dashboard sitting in a, on a central mainframe and that you can actually have it pretty much anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leave it with me. We'll look into it. We'll, we'll go and have a look for a sensor. We've got, we've got, you know, three or four different sensor companies that would probably, even if they don't have it now, wouldn't take long to put together. And that, that's the beauty of technology. It's moving so fast. You yeah. know, we, we've, we're actually putting a solution together for a, a potential new customer in India. They want to monitor diesel in a tank 
uh, diesel tank volumes and water volumes because of that they obviously need to get that delivered to generate electricity and drinking water. So yeah, leave it with me, uh, Gavin. We'll, we'll we'll sort it out for you for sure. And tell me this, uh, Michael, in terms of um, just in terms of mindset, I, I like to cover a lot of stuff around the mi- mindset and the mental game in this business. Yeah. And is there anything that you you know f- first of all that you kind of see as maybe a, a different opinion that you started out with that you have changed your mind on in the last couple of years? Is there anything that sort of stands out as your, in your mind as a shift in your mindset or, you know, a belief that system that you had that you've noticed is starting to kind of change? Yeah. So when, when I first started working with, with asset mapping, as I said, I was brought in by Cisco and the, the platform came from a static asset register and then we won a big global customer and it was all about energy so we were concentrating just on energy and looking at lots of different energy sensor providers and saying right we'll do energy really well and then just working with the customer that had lots of sites but then looking out at the market thinking do you know what what happens when excuse me energy energy prices start to drop and people actually don't start to care about energy that much anymore because everything's you know, things move in waves and fads. I thought, do you know what? We need to look outside of energy and, and see what else is out there. And that's when I started to go to, always going to events, always trying to learn and listen and see what other people are saying. And then went out and started to see, look, indoor air quality is becoming bigger. This is like four and a half years ago. Then, and mostly the events I went to were in the Nordics where air quality was being talked about a lot and they're always ahead of the game. Uh, so indoor air quality became a lot. And then people started to talk about capacity monitoring of buildings, not so much desks and meeting rooms, but physical buildings. And I thought, do you know what? We, we need to start to take a shift. So if we have all our eggs in one basket with energy, then if energy is not popular anymore, then we're, we're a bit stuck. And we, are, we do say we're a software business. So that's when I kind of pivoted the company to look at what else was out there. And that's when we started to integrate more and more sensors because... When I first joined, we only had two different sensor companies integrated. Right, wow. And, and that stayed for a while. Uh, and then myself and the old CEO had a difference of opinions of where the business should go. But we then did pivot and we then started to integrate more. And, and you know, more and more things are coming out now. It's, it's indoor air quality was the right call. Occupancy was, or capacity was the right call. Then occupancy. Now it's, it's people in different industries have got different things that we're looking at. So, you know, maintenance, for example, you know, in, in industrial factories, that's about vibration and temperature. So we've gone from just energy, just in commercial buildings to, to now commercial buildings, industrial buildings, manufacturing and warehousing. The, the cone of acceptance of our platform has had to get bigger because otherwise if we stayed in one place, we'd be left behind and we'd be a one trick pony. So Yes. Uh, opening up the software, uh, opening up the software and, and the senses we can bring into the platform, I think has been the biggest change for me. Uh, and, and the reason that we, we we're winning, I think is because we can do that. We've, we've stayed agnostic. We're not a hardware manufacturer. So we're not trying to flog our hardware and our software to a customer. The customer has a choice. Right. Okay. So you're disrupting yourself before someone comes along and disrupts you. Yes. Yeah. Because if, if we don't do that, someone else will do it and then we'll be yeah. left behind. Interesting. Tell me, um, you're an advisor to uh, to leaderless. Yes, I saw that. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. So, leaderless is a is a project uh, run by a gentleman called uh, James Vanderhoven. He he and I used to work together at Level Three in the data center world. 
He's a lovely guy. He's in South Africa. And what we are doing is helping people that are not connected in villages to, to help them get connectivity. So we're, we're helping them build villages. So we're building mini data centers, we're building shops, we're building schools, and we're building universities. But all of that needs connectivity. So I'm helping them with the operational and network design and architecture with a couple of friends to, to build out uh, you know, new villages and new connectivity to help people in villages who want to learn more and do more be connected to the outside world that, that necessarily can't or don't have the money. All of this is free. Every single person involved, none of us get paid. Everything we do is voluntary and anyone who supplies any equipment has to do it free of charge. We, we're, obviously, we're going for some funding to help physically pay for things that we need that people physically can't give us free. But it's it's about it's about digitally enabling people. Nothing to do with prop tech in this instance, but giving people connectivity so they can learn. So children can go to school that would not necessarily be able to go to school, and then go to university and have self-contained villages to help them do that. And we're running entrepreneurial courses for them as well. That's really great. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's very cool. Philanthropic. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's it's take it's going to take a long time, but it's 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 great fun, and it's and it's a really really well deserved cause. You know, South Africa's one of the most has got you know a lot of corruption and and trying to help give people something they need that they won't they could never get even if they ask for it is is you know you should just help people because you can. I think. Yeah, I agree. It's it's interesting. There's a chap that I follow called Scott Harrison, and he has a a charity called Charity Water, and. Um, He's, he just goes into these villages like you're talking about and puts in a, a well and, you know, drops down a hole yeah. as deep as possible to the safe water yeah. and then just basically puts it in there. But uh, it's a real movement and um, a lot of people, he does it 100%. For, if you give him a $100 donation, $100 goes to building those wells. Not a single penny of it goes on the back office administration and all that kind of stuff. That, So it's a really fascinating how these sort of, uh, I suppose, impact and legacy-minded people kind of go out there and, and leave their mark in the world. So I thought uh, that was great. I was really interested to hear that. Michael, how do people find more about you or reach out if they want to connect? Uh, they can come straight to me, uh, MG, M for Michael, G for Grant at metricus.io, or there is the website. We have the contact forms. Uh, the telephone numbers are on the website and the same for Airrated. It's MG at airrated.co. Uh, and again, telephone numbers on the website. So yeah, happy to, happy to help people out, even if they just need some advice about smart buildings or indoor air quality. I'll point them at Francesca, who is the, uh, the resident expert. And, and yeah, we'd love to help. Well, thanks so much for coming here today, Michael. And it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And uh, I wish you guys the best of luck. And you and I are going to have a conversation offline. <laughs> we, we will. I'll help you out with me. Thank Gavin. Thanks very much for having me. It's been a pleasure to be on. All right, guys. I hope you found that conversation with Michael Grant interesting. His company, Metricus and Airrated. I have put links to both of them in the show notes and any other links that you guys will find useful. So that is it for episode number 44 of Behind the Facade. I hope you enjoyed this episode this week. Thank you so much for listening. If if there's anything you can do for me, the one thing I normally ask is that you will stop what you're doing and leave a review 
uh, in iTunes or wherever it is you're listening to this. And uh, if you can't do that, then maybe you would consider sharing the episode out with anyone else who you think might benefit from it. Um, In the show notes, as I mentioned, you'll find all the various things discussed today. If you have any other questions or topics that you'd like me to cover in future episodes, that is always something I'm interested to hear from you about. So please connect with me via social media. Gavin J. Gallagher is my handle, as always. And uh, also, if you want to kind of connect more closely with me, Facebook group, um, I've created the online community called Behind the Facade Community. And um, as I mentioned last week, I have recently started a YouTube channel and I'm going to start putting content out there. So if you are looking for me on YouTube, you'll find me under Gavin J. Gallagher. Now, I have in the past talked about a YouTube channel called PropTech TV, um, but I'm actually doubling down now on just the Gavin J. Gallagher one. So if you guys would like to uh, have a look there and become subscribers, I'd be most grateful. And lastly, if you want to stay up to date with various events and challenges I'm working on, uh, you can add your name to my email list, which you'll find over on my website, www.gavinjgallagher.com forward slash go. All right, folks, that's everything for the week. And it's Friday night for me. So I'm going to enjoy my weekend for a change instead of having the podcast to do on Sunday night. I hope you'll all have a great weekend and I'll speak soon. Thank you.